It is now day 26 of First Nation Chiefs Teresa Spence's hunger strike on Victoria Island in Ottawa. Today on Shtetl, we speak with Native American activist Winona LeDuc about Idle No More and with Michael Rubenfeld about his fast in solidarity with Chief Spence. Stay tuned and to download this or past episodes of Shtetl on the Shortwave, you can go to iTunes or to shtetlmontreal.com. Welcome to Shtetl on the Shortwave. I'm your host, Tamara Kramer, and today we're going to be talking a little bit about First Nations issues. Uh, in particular, Chief Teresa Spence uh, is on hunger strike, and she's been not eating anything except for liquids since December 11th, and she's requesting a meeting with Prime Minister Stephen Harper, which is not granted yet. Um, we're going to be speaking today with well-known activist Winona LaDuke. She is an author, uh, a professor. She's a graduate of Harvard and Antioch University, and she's going to be talking to us about her take on Idol No More. And she comes from uh, an interesting background. Her father is Ojibwe and her mother is Jewish, and I'm very, very honored that she's going to be on Shtetl today. We're also going to be talking with Michael Rubenfeld, who is an actor in Toronto, a Jewish actor who fasted in solidarity with Chief Spence, and we're going to talk with him about why he did that. And uh, I called today show um, a modern-day Esther, Chief Teresa Spence, uh, fasting to meet the king. And I did that because I wanted to make a connection with Jewish history. And of course, a fast is not the same thing as a hunger strike. But the story is, the story of, of Purim, is that in ancient Persia, um, the Jewish community was under threat of being annihilated, and a Jewish woman named Esther, who found her, uh, who found a way to become the queen, wanted to approach the king uh, to ask for his help in this situation. But approaching the king without permission was punishable by death. And so, before she would go and talk to him and and speak about the plight of her people, she decided to fast for three days, and she asked all of her community to fast in solidarity with her. And it seemed to me like an interesting parallel with what Chief Teresa Spence is doing 
right now. She is the face of a larger movement. It didn't start this way, but there's a movement called Idle No More that started out West in Canada uh, by a group of women who have become frustrated with the relationship between the Canadian government and the rights of First Nations people here. And so Chief Teresa Spence has become the the face of this movement. And uh, this is a a clip from an interview that she did closer to the beginning of her hunger strike, and it's from an interview with CBC Radio. You know, all, all the First Nations, they're all, all frustrated, and they're carrying their pain, and they're telling the government enough is enough. you got to start listening to our, our voice and our leaders and our grassroots people. You know, it is the grassroots people that tell the chiefs what they're going through and what to do. And it's important, and it's a chief's duty to stand behind their grassroots people. And this is what uh, these people are doing. They're going to make a lot of noise, and, uh, you know, they're not going to stop. It's, you know, they're demanding. It's time for peace and a good relationship. That was the intent of the treaty. It's, you know, about honor, respect. So that was Chief Teresa Spence speaking from her teepee that she is has been in since de- December 11th, waiting and hoping to, to speak with Prime Minister Stephen Harper and also the representative of the Crown, the Governor General of Canada. And she is saying that she will not leave until she gets that meeting. And uh, today we're going to talk about that with Winona LeDuc. Uh, Winona LeDuc was born in 1959 and has been a spokesperson for Native American causes ever since she spoke before the United Nations about Indigenous issues at age 18. She's a graduate of Harvard and Antioch universities. She's the executive director of a nonprofit organization called Honor the Earth and has run as a vice presidential candidate with Ralph Nader in two American elections. She's worked as an activist in both the United States and in Canada. And LeDuc lives on the White Earth Reservation in Minnesota, where we're going to be speaking with her today. But before we talk to her, I wanted to play this song. Uh, It's from a group called, a tribe called Red. They're uh, a group of three uh, DJs from Ottawa, First Nations, and they've been... uh, They've been gaining a lot of international acclaim with their with their music that they call Pow Wow Step, and it's really amazing dance music. But they did a special song uh, in solidarity with Chief Spence and the Idle No More movement. And I wanted to play that for you before we speak with Winona LaDuke. It's a, a really powerful song, so take a listen.
on Shtetl on the Shortwave on CKUT, and uh, we're going to be speaking with activist Winona LaDuke, and it's a real great honor to have her on the show with us today. I told you all about her credentials, and I think she's the perfect person to be speaking with about the issues that we're facing here in Canada, uh, even though we're speaking with Winona uh, from the White Earth Reservation in Minnesota. And before we speak with Winona, I just wanted to make an announcement that Stephen Harper did just announce that he would be meeting. He accepted a meeting with uh, Chief Teresa Spence on January 11th. So that's when he's planning to meet with her. And I would, with great honor, like to welcome Winona LaDuke to Shtetl on the Shortwave. Winona, thanks for coming on to the show. Hi there, Anine. Thanks for having me. What does that mean, what you just said? It means hello, but we also say bonjour, which is kind of like bonjour, which is what you'd probably say up there in Montreal. That's exactly right. Bonjour. Bonjour. Winona, I wanted to start by asking if you could tell us a little bit about your organization, Honor the Earth. Yeah, Honor the Earth is a national Native American foundation, indigenous-led, which works largely to get support for grassroots Native American movements working on environmental justice and sacred site preservation on mostly North American. We do some Central American funding. We we re-grant or we give about $250,000 away a year, $200,000 this last year. And we also do concerts and a lot of media work, concerts with uh, the Indigo Girls and Medicine for the People or, you know, Body Rate and uh, Brandy Carlisle. A number of groups have given us money or supported us, the Dixie Chicks. Um, but it's really to draw awareness to these issues because, I mean, similar to what you're seeing in the Idle No More movement, a lot of what goes on in Native reserves is really isolated from the media. So we work on drawing attention to it, bringing music and press as well as resources. Okay, and since since Idle No More is is what's happening right now in Canada, and it seems to be gaining a lot of respect and traction in other places around the world as well, I wanted to ask you, why do you think a movement like this is important? Well, from what I know, you know, just to start with, you know, you pass a bill called C forty five, and it guts your environmental law in a country, and I don't know what the popular resistance was like to that. I think it was pretty much, you know, roughshod run through the parliament. But before C-45, you had 2.6 million rivers, lakes, and a good portion of Canada's three ocean shorelines protected under laws like the Navigable Waters Act. And now that's almost been obliterated. There's like 87 that are protected. So you go from 2.6 million rivers 
that are navigable being protected to pretty much nothing so that the Harper government can push through a really destructive economic and environmental you know, set of mining projects and tar sands projects, um, it's really important to stop them. And it appears that not only Theresa Spence, but the Native movement seems to be the people who are saying, no, that's enough. Teresa Spence, uh, the chief, has has mentioned a number of times that part of the reason that she wants to have a meeting with Stephen Harper is because she feels that treaty rights are being abused. And I was wondering if you could give an example of what some of these treaty rights might be that she feels are being abused. I don't know if it's the same in the States, if the treaties are different, but... Right. In general, the United States and Canada didn't get their land through, you know, massacring everybody. <laughs> Canada tries to pretend it has like a better human rights record, but I'm actually going to debate that at some point here, because I think what's going on in Canada is atrocious. Um, but, you know, historically, the United States treated to get land, and single largest land transactions, cheapest land transactions in the history of the world, pretty much, it was cheaper to, you know, make treaty agreements with Native people than it was to um, kill them because it was costing about a million bucks an Indian during the Civil War period to kill Indians. They're very expensive, right? Mm-hmm. And so in treaties, these are agreements between nations. Native people agree to relinquish or cede some control over their territories, retaining um, in the United States and in Canada certain rights and certain use of, you know, hunting, fishing, harvesting, customary, sacred site access, and saying, you know, we, we'll still keep this, but, you know, you guys can all come out here. And then in return, Canada gets access to land. Um, the United States gets access to land. As far as I know, the immigrants that came to Canada or that came on boats to Canada or came on boats to America weren't bringing any land with them. And so that's how land transactions happened in these countries. And those treaties are absolutely essential law and need to be honored. You know, if you don't want to keep your part of the treaty, the Harper government, then we shouldn't keep our part of the treaty either, and you guys should just, like, move on back to someplace where right-wing governments go. Do you feel that Teresa Spence's uh, hunger strike is a good way of going about um, bringing awareness to these issues, and do you think that her demand of meeting Prime Minister Harper is reasonable? I'm, I'm really not clear that Teresa Spence had a lot of choices. I mean, the reality is, so I don't know if you know much about my history. You know, I was born in East L.A. My mother is Jewish. My father is Ojibwe. I have lived for most of my life on the White Earth Reservation in northern Minnesota, but I lived for six years in Moose Factory, a village just south of Attawapiskat. I have a little familiarity, and I have two children that are Cree from James Bay. Okay. So in my experience up there, it's kind of third world. And because it's so remote, nobody cares. I mean, Quebec certainly did a pretty good number on the James Bay dams. You know, one set of, you know, environmentally massive structures after another. I don't believe people should have to trade their ecosystems for running water and electricity. So nobody cares because Native people are so remote and so far away. And because people are generally pretty addicted to the lifestyle that they have become accustomed to. But it matters how we live. And it matters that people have a right to live in some dignity in a first world country. So 
you know, Attawapa's got 1,500 people. They've got, you know, houses that don't work. They're, they're living in tents. They have no running water and sometimes no electricity. Join that with cash, Kastachewan, the next community over, you know, which has exactly the same, you know, set of problems. They're looking at they can't even get in there, you know, because the ice road, because the climate change is changing, and they're looking at closing down a lot of their buildings. And in the meantime, you know, they've got this epidemic of teenage suicides and native youth suicide up in Canada is five times the national average. What is so ironic about that, aside from the fact that it's horrible, is that in the middle of that, you have two of the largest diamond mines in the world, the De Beers Diamond Mine right? Mm-hmm. And the victory mine goes up there. And so you have a very, I mean, you might as well be in Zimbabwe. You might as well be in South Africa, because you have native people that are living in absolute destitute poverty. And one of the richest corporations in the world, the De Beers Corporation, is hauling out diamonds for a luxury market, largely, frankly, in India at this point. I mean, that's the irony of this situation. So if Prime Minister Harper thinks that's okay, then he should, you know, do some real soul-searching. He should do some real soul-searching about what, you know, what kind of, that people, if people have a right to live with dignity in the country that is the only country they have ever known, you know, EU-OSCE Cree territory, that's the only country these people have ever known. Well, Stephen Harper has announced today that he's going to meet with Chief Teresa Spence on January 11th. It's uh, January 4th today, so I'm not quite sure I understand what what he why he said January 11th. But I I want you know, he's probably busy out dining. <laughs> <laughs> well, what what do you think that he has to lose or to gain from taking a meeting with this woman, which is not not something that prime ministers and heads of countries usually do. They won't meet with people upon request like this. But this is clearly uh, a special situation. What do you think he has to gain, and what does he have to lose from this meeting? What he has to gain is the respect of a lot of people for realizing that a, you know, a, a human rights problem that is worsening under his administration needs redress. And Canada is a country which, on a worldwide scale, for many years, has stood for human rights. People could count on Canada as not being a country which disregarded human rights. And so if you are Prime Minister Harper, you should not disregard human rights at home. He has a great deal to gain by treating people with dignity in his own country. What does he have to lose? I'm not really sure. You know, if, if the prime minister of a country can't be humble enough to meet with the poorest people in the country, I'm not sure why he should be prime minister, frankly. You mentioned earlier that, uh, that you have um, a mother who's Jewish, father who's Ojibwe. I was yep. wondering if you would uh, be willing to talk a little bit about that background and how that might have influenced the work that you're doing today. I mean, Sure. My mother comes from New York City. She's an artist. Her name is Betty LaDuke. She has worked on human rights her whole life and women in third world countries and documenting their art. Um, She's a painter. Well, she's all kinds of things, but she does huge acrylic paintings, and she's just about to be 80, and she's a little bit like Georgia O'Keeffe. She's really incredibly inspirational to me and has 
you know, traveled the world. She's, you know, she's lived on a kibbutz in Israel. She's been to Rwanda. She's been to Sri Lanka, to the south of India. She's been everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. And so I come from, and, and my grandparents were working class Jews, you know, who my grandmother was a union organizer for the International Ladies Garment Worker Union, and my grandfather was a house painter. Mm-hmm. I come from a very working class Jewish family of people who believed in human rights and in dignity. Um, my grandmother, till she died about 10 years ago, was a peace activist. So I come from really good cloth. Um, on the other side of my family, my, you know, my father was um, you know, a human rights activist involved in our spiritual teachings, was an actor in the Westerns. And you know, he passed away, but he spent most of his life advocating for the rights of Native people. So I'm fortunate in having come from really good family. And, you know, my parents have inspired me and continue to inspire me today. Do you feel that the Native American community and the Jewish communities in North America have some sort of special affinity to each other? Well, obviously, I think they have an affinity because I'm a product of that. (laughs) (laughs) Thank God. (laughs) Thank God for the affinity. Right. And I even went to synagogue. I just want to report into the Jews of Montreal, the synagogue in Fargo, my first synagogue I ever went to. I went for Hanukkah. In Fargo, North Dakota has a very small Jewish community. And do you know what they call themselves? What? The Frozen Chosen. <laughs> right. <laughs> very sweet. I heard Winnipeg does that, too. Yeah. But anyway, kind of a, kind of a, a small number. But, um, you know, I think that the, the tradition of Jewish people, understanding what oppression is, understanding what it is to be run from your country, understanding uh, resilience, we have a lot in common. And I think that... Um, admiring and standing with Native people who need the, the political support of the Jewish community is absolutely essential. I mean, because this is not a Native issue, I don't know more. The, the, there's, an, there's only one Mother Earth, there's only one planet. And if, you know, Prime Minister Harper sees fit to contaminate the groundwater and the water supply of Canada, we aren't making any new water. Jews are going to be drinking that water, too. So as far as I'm concerned, we should all be working on this one together. Right. So ideally, what what would you like to see the Jewish community of Canada uh, doing in response to the Idle No More movement? What what kind of role do you think we could play or what type of actions could we take? I think that the Jewish community should support Native treaty rights. The Jewish community should support negotiations with chiefs and bands and the protection of in Native rights in Canada. But more than that, you need to repeal, I mean, in addition to that, you need to repeal Bill C-45. I mean, you've got to drink the water, Canada. And, and the whole idea that you can gut 30 years of environmental laws for the benefit of, you know, one administration's really, you know, lack of thoughtful planning or thoughtful planning perhaps for themselves is wrong. And the Jews have a sense of resilience, and resilience would involve being able to take care of the land which you have come to live in. Do you think that, this is obviously very hypothetical, but how do you think that President Obama would respond to a similar type of hunger strike? President Obama would have already met with her. (laughs) He appointed a cabinet position for Native people and holds a summit with Native people. He doesn't send his Indian Affairs Minister. He goes and meets nation to nation because he's courageous and principled. So 
frankly, Stephen Harper should take a lesson from President Obama. Okay. Good answer. Um, <laughs> I, I also, I wanted to ask you about the hunger strike itself. Do you know of any tradition in, in, in Native culture that, that speaks of hunger strikes from a spiritual perspective? It's, we don't usually have hunger strikes. We have fast, spiritual fast, in order to get teachings. Because in our teachings, we, you know, and, and of course, there are many different kinds of Ojibwe and, and, you know, there are many different Native religions. There's not one. Okay. You know, there's 500, well, there's about 700 Indigenous communities in North America, and, and I happen to be a member of our Medewin Society. In our teachings, we do fast, and we fast in order to be given some enlightenment, um, which is, you know, something that happens on a worldwide scale. But what we know is, is that, you know, unfettered, untouched by, you know, go off in the woods and and pray and and be humble and suffer a little bit. And and you'll get a little bit better teachings than if you sit there and, you know, play on your, you know, we or your, you know, you're not going to get a lot of enlightenment sitting in your house right. unless you're, you know, really fortunate. So that's the teaching. But a hunger strike is more, you know, something that has come from, you know, whether it is Gandhi or from, you know, movements of people asking for change. And, and she is, you know, she is calling on a broader tradition. And in fact, Idle No More is really, a, you know, exemplifies international global movements that question why we should destroy the planet for so few to profit. It's mentioned oftentimes in your biography that you ran twice as the vice presidential candidate for the Green Party with Ralph Nader. And I wanted to ask you how you decided to do that and if there was ever uh, any worry that people in your community might feel like by running for political office, you were legitimizing power structures that had been oppressive to them. Um, I decided to run because I kind of had exhausted most of their political channels. I mean, if you look at my biography, I've, you know, litigated, I've protested, I've been arrested, I've testified at Congress, I've testified at the United Nations, I've, you know, testified at multitudes of hearings. And so running for office is engaging in a different arena. I'm interested in changing the system. And, um, you know, because it, it, it's not working out. And so you have to come up with many different strategies to do that, and running for office is one of these strategies. Very good question if my community um, was concerned about my approach. I talked to one of the Iroquois chiefs. His name is Oren Lyons, because there is a teaching that says that um, there are two paths. It's called the two-row wampum, and one path or one, one river, one boat on the river, excuse me, or at the time it was probably a canoe, was, uh, was the Iroquois, and the second one was the Dutch, because that's who they treated with and that they were not to be on the same canoe. They were supposed to be in parallel canoes on the river, which is a lot of the teaching that indigenous peoples have, which is, you know, continue on our path um, as separate nations um, in these countries that have come to be on our land. Um, but what I, I, in my discussion with the chief, I said, you know, I, I know that teaching, but this is my analysis, and I'm not sure what you think of it. So like the conversation, I said, so... We are two canoes on the river. We are two boats on the river. The problem is, is that we're not two boats. Um, we're in a canoe, and they're in a destroyer. <laughs> they're in like an you know, armored destroyer on the river. And they're, 
their boat is going to destroy the river. And so the question is, do you try to steer their boat? Or do you try to jump over there and help them steer their boat a little bit? And that was the analysis I used and I generally use. Because the Native community, you know, I'm a rural development economist. I work in tribal communities, in Native communities, on how we restore the, our economies and our wealth. You don't restore it by having your ecosystem compromised by a diamond mining company or the tar sands. You lose wealth through that. But in order for me to do the work that I do, I have to engage in the fact that the United States and Canada are gluttons. The levels of consumption are too high and cost ecosystems and human rights. And so in order to make those transitions, sometimes you have to engage in the system. My community understands that. And um, generally, you know, I would say that my community supports me in that. Was it a positive experience running with Ralph Nader? Did you go to college? Did I? Yeah. Uh, I, I did. I went to Concordia University here in Montreal. Okay, so think about being in finals week for six months. <laughs> <laughs> it was a very positive experience, but it was, like, really stressful. Okay. And, uh, and you, you, you were studying all the time. I mean, some of the things that you, you face is, I mean, because when you're running as a candidate, you need to be able to answer a pretty wide variety of questions in any terrain that you walk into, in any city that you walk into. And so you have briefing people. And in our case, when you're running as a Green Party candidate, you have a slimmer staff. Right. Right. You know, and so you're like always making sure that you know every issue that is going to come up when the press, you know, asks you. And, 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 you know, I mean, obviously I have a pretty wide understanding of things. I mean, I'm, I'm an economist. I went to Harvard. I went to MIT. You know, I'm good. Um, but, you, you know, you are, you are faced with a set of challenges. One of the main challenges that you're faced with, which is the same challenge you're faced with in Canada, is that generally women don't win national offices. Right. <laughs> you know, and generally women don't get elected. And women of color and Native people, you know, the U.S. Congress and the U.S. Senate is not full of, of us, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a little bit of assumption that maybe you aren't as smart as the millionaire you're running against. Um, although I went to the same schools as all of them, mm-hmm. you know, so, but there's an assumption that if you're a rural person from a remote area, that your knowledge is probably not worthy. Um, so, you, you know, you spend a little bit of time proving yourself as being smarter. Um, The other thing that I just have to note is that in 2000, I had a child. So I have the record of being the only vice presidential candidate in U.S. history that was nursing the entire time I was running. (laughs) But I think that that's where women belong. You know, you don't need to go nurse in a bathroom, and you don't need to not be able to run for office. You know, you should, you know, you can nurse your child anywhere. It's it's a way better form of nutrition, and it's a lot less toxic. So. What would you say to Chief Teresa Spence if you could speak to her? How would you advise her to to engage with Stephen Harper when she does meet with him, God willing, I, at January 11th? I mean, to me, it's just it's so far away for somebody who's been fasting for so long. She's, yeah, she's not she's not you know doing that. I mean, I think she's probably quite robust in her health. I mean, if she's drinking fish broth, you know, that's pretty good. You know what I'm saying is is that I'm really proud. Of that, and I'm hoping that she's getting some good medicines. And obviously, she is quite strong as a woman. Mm-hmm. And Crees are pretty tough generally. You know, if I was going to tangle with someone, I wouldn't tangle with a Crees. <laughs> so, having said that, you know, I would say, you know, Teresa Spence, uh, my heart goes out to you. I support you 150%. You know, I'm very, very proud to 
to, you know, be trying to support your work. And in saying that, you know, you know what, you do, what you're doing is really important, Teresa, and it is a big picture. Because people have a right to not have their ecosystems destroyed and be in perpetual enslaved poverty, while large corporations like De Beers or Suncor get well, which, you know, and, and you represent, you know, and you have, you have allowed this story to see the light of day. Mm-hmm. And so use that power wisely and do not negotiate away that power. Our land, our water, the people of, you know, Sarnia need you. Everybody needs you. And um, I wish you the best. Okay. Hi. Any last words that you want to say um, that you want to share with us about about what you're working on or how how you feel perhaps um, non-Native communities in Canada can can support? Are you hopeful about the future of the relationship between the communities? Yeah, I'm very hopeful because I believe that, you know, it is a time of enlightenment um, and there's an equalizer, which is, you know, whether it is the water or our health. You know, we're living in societies that have high rates of diabetes that are petroleum dependent and in the, in the midst of climate change. You know, we can't raise the temperature much more without causing cataclysmic problems. And that involves and requires engagement by all of us. And we all have a responsibility to work together. You know, so I'm optimistic because I see the changes are occurring around us and that there's some enlightenment associated with those changes. Um, if, you know, if you want to call me, we're at www.honortheearth.org. Honor the Earth is the organization, and we cover some of these issues on our website. Although, you know, what I have to say is, is that I covered this issue, I wrote about it, because I was asked to by people from Canada. The Native community asked me. And so I wrote about it, but, you know, I, I work in general on these issues and a lot on climate change and environmental issues. And I hope that those who listen in Montreal, you know, I thank you for listening to me. Miigwech, that's how you say uh, thank you. Merci to you <laughs> uh, for listening in. And, uh, you know, I wish you all the best. Winona Leduc, thank you so much for coming on to Shtetl on the Shortwave. You bet. All right, the best to Thank you. Thank you, Okay, take care. So that was Winona LaDuke talking to us from uh, the White Earth Reservation in Minnesota. And like she said, you can check out her, her website, Honor the Earth, and there's a lot of interesting information there. There's a lot going on around the Idle No More movement, and you just have to Google it to find out. There's going to be a teach-in happening this Sunday at um, a church in... Uh, in Montreal at one o'clock, and I'm going to give you more information about that a little bit later, but just Google Idle No More, go onto Facebook, find out, inform, inform yourself, and um, and we're going to be back on Shtetl on the Shortwave to talk with Michael Rubenfeld, a Jewish actor from Toronto, about uh, why he fasted in solidarity with Chief Teresa Spence after a short music break. <laughs> Hello, this is Rabbi Gershom Sizomu, the spiritual leader of the Abaydaya congregation in Uganda. You are here live on Stato on the short web. <laughs> 
back on Shtetl on the shortwave on CKUT 90.3 FM in Montreal. And uh, you can listen to this or past episodes of Shtetl on iTunes or at shtetlmontreal.com. And today uh, we spoke with Winona LaDuke about the Idle No More movement. And now we are going to be speaking with Michael Rubenfeld, who is a Canadian theatre artist and the artistic producer of the Summer Works Performance Festival in Toronto. He fasted for a day in solidarity with Chief Teresa Spence, and we've got him on the phone from Toronto right now. Michael, are you there? I am. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Michael, can you uh, tell us a little bit about how it came to pass that you uh, fasted for a day in solidarity with Chief Spence? Sure. Um, uh, there's a theater company here in Toronto called Native Earth Performing Arts, and it's run by a woman named Tara Began. She decided that she needed to do something in solidarity with Chief Spence, so she began a fasting, what she called a fasting relay, and she petitioned a number of people within the theater community to get involved, and she asked people if they would also take a day in solidarity for every day that the that Chief Spence was fasting. And I was one of the people uh, that she asked, and uh, it felt like it would have been an irresponsible act to say no, and so I agreed to take a day. Uh, and uh, a number of people have. And in fact, uh, when it started, she was struggling to find people who would take uh, one day at a time. And now, uh, I think at least 15 people per day have been uh, been fasting along with the chief. Why would it have been irresponsible to say no? Because I, I know too much and I don't know enough. Um, I know that the... First Nations community in this country are living uh, often in third world conditions and are treated like second, if not third class citizens, uh, which goes against what I believe to be our Canadian ideologies. And I think that there's, I think that the degree of ignorance in this country for what's actually uh, ha- happening currently and what's happened to the First Nations people of the country is 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 sort of shameful. And I would Im- implicate myself within that context in, in many ways. I feel uh, I feel ashamed at my my own ignorance, uh, and also at my own lack of uh, activity. Uh, so I, I so I, mean, I feel like fasting for a day is 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 on the very low end of the scale of what I, I can and, and probably should be doing. Um, what was your day of fasting like? Was it? Did you do it on your own at home, or did you do it uh, uh, with other people who were part of the relay? I know. I knew. I, I did it actually. I, I, I was in rehearsals for a play, <laughs> um, and it was interesting. You know, at first, uh, a lot of people uh, are very uh, informed about the, the, the this fasting relay, and I told people I was in rehearsals, and so I told people that I was going to be fasting. I'd agreed to fast for the day, and. Everyone in the rehearsal hall was very understanding in a way that is quite rare. I think at first someone was like, oh, could, you, could you possibly wait until the rehearsal was over because um, you, you're going to be grumpy, which I was. And uh, <laughs> everyone just collectively got together and, and said, okay, this is an important thing. You're doing an important thing for this country. Uh, and so... <laughs> People kind of left me alone uh, w- uh, so that I could gentle within my fast. Uh, 
Okay. And did you have any like personal insights or any thoughts uh, about the fast? Did it bring up anything for you? Yeah, I mean, I, I thought a lot about obviously um, uh, the chief and what uh, and what she was going through on a daily basis and how difficult fasting is. Um, I'm Jewish, and so I've, I've done Yom Kippur fast, and uh, I stopped doing Yom Kippur fast a few years ago because of how difficult they were. And I, I thought a lot about that. I thought about the about how difficult the fast was um, the other day. Um, but I also really I felt like like. Um, I almost felt ashamed at my desire to end the fast. Um, I felt like I almost should continue to fast uh, on a, as long as I could. There was this thing. There, there was this thing about the ease in which I was able to let myself off the hook, and I really and I and I felt ashamed at this idea of wanting to be let off the hook, which is, in a way, I think a lot of people's relationship to First Nations issues in the country. They don't. We don't think about it because we don't want to. We, it's easy to let ourselves off the hook simply by mm, sitting within a context of ignorance. Since this uh, hunger strike started, have you felt like a sort of a renewed resolve to learn more about the issues? And if so, how would you go about doing that? Well, I think even just deciding to to make the decision to to, to do the fast uh, has just has kept me. Uh, uh, engaged on a level with uh, with the fast that I hadn't perhaps previously. So I've been certainly reading the papers every single day, each and every day. And I think that you know, even before the fast, this question of how myself as a, a citizen of Canada is implicated in the First Nations issue has been something that I've been, been thinking about for a long time. And I'm, I've been uh, I'm in the early stages of trying to work out how to make a piece uh, of theater about it uh, with uh, a couple of other theater artists living in Toronto. Yeah, I mean, I think as a it's interesting as a white person, uh, and especially as a, a white Jewish person living in Canada, I don't necessarily feel responsible for what's happened in this country because my people weren't here when the First Nations um, people were being, um, or the culture was being, you know, quietly uh, destroyed. Um, but I'm here now, and I feel implicated, and I feel responsible, and like, and so. I think the question has just deepened, and the necessity of the question has deepened. Um, and I think that that's why I, I felt like I needed the fast. Even the fact that I'm here talking to you right now means that the fast was a success. And, and the fact that, I mean, I think it's really fantastic that Harper's decided to meet with her. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I just think that it's impossible. I think what's incredible about this fast is that it's been it's become impossible for people to ignore things uh, and mm -hmm. it felt like by even becoming a part of that i was i was contributing to 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 this issue would you say that that the majority of the jewish people that you talk to are uh, supportive of chief Teresa Spence? like what kind of response are you getting from the people around you I don't think I go after the conversation specifically with Jewish people. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I, I work within the theater community in, in Toronto, and I'm a very liberal, um, left-wing thinker, so 
I don't know anyone really who's not in solidarity with the with the the fast. Um, I don't know how you can't not. I don't know how you can't not be in solidarity with the fast. And I, no, I, I really haven't encountered anybody. I think if I had, it would be interesting because I would love to have the conversation. I'd love to know why people well, could somehow, in any way, be in opposition to the fast. Um, so, okay. yeah, I mean, specifically with Jewish people. I mean, certainly as a Jew myself, I, I ask, I ask these these questions about what it means to be an oppressed people and what one can do to deal with the issue of, of, of being an oppressed people. And I think the Jews have done a really good job. Um, and I think, you know, it's interesting. I think part of the reason that Jews have done such a good job is because they, they have, they have been supported to rise up uh, against oppression. And I don't think the Jews have, could have come to, to be where they are without the support of the world. And so mm. I feel like really it would, it would be you know, equally ignorant as a Jewish, you know, as a Jewish people to not somehow be able to find parallels um, with, uh, with First Nations issues in this country uh, as there are with Jewish people after the war. Okay. Michael, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. And uh, I want to let people know that you're currently performing in The Peacemaker, a play by Natasha Greenblatt, and that's at the Next Stage Theatre Festival in Toronto. Um, I wish you a lot of luck in the play, and thank you so much for taking the time to talk to Shtetl on the shortwave. Thanks for having me, tomorrow. Okay, take good care. So that was Michael Rubenfeld, an actor and uh, artistic producer in Toronto, and he uh, fasted for a day in solidarity with Chief Teresa Spence. And I think he, I, th- I, I really appreciate my conversation with him because uh, actually, you know, if you do go on um, the internet and read articles about what's going on right now, it can be a bit disheartening to see people's responses. And there are people who are not supporting Chief Teresa Spence. So I'd be curious to understand exactly why. And maybe maybe that's a conversation that that needs to be had more with people. And I think it is. Um, there are so many issues uh, related to uh, Idle No More and to um, Chief Teresa Spence's uh, hunger strike uh, to understand. There's a whole history uh, to know about, and there are a lot of complicated terms and a lot of uh, a lot of complicated issues that are connected with um, with Idle No More that I think a lot of us want to know more about, and a lot of us do have this feeling like there's more we'd like to do, but don't necessarily know what that more is. And uh, luckily, there are a lot of websites, um, the Idle No More website, of course, and uh, a lot of information that you can find right now, but there's no better way to learn than by coming together with other people who are willing to talk and teach and listen. And there is such um, an event happening here in Montreal being organized by a group of people with really very little resources, just trying to pull it together. And they have some amazing speakers coming to talk. And it's going to be happening on Sunday, 
uh, January 6th at 1 p.m. at the Y in Point St. Charles. So we're going to put a link to that on the Shtetl Facebook page if you want to find out more information about that and go to it and bring your family. It's a family-friendly event. It's going to be happening hopefully in a circle so that everybody can talk, listen, and share with each other um, and get informed about uh, about what's what's going on right now with this historical moment in Canadian history. So that takes us to the end of Shtetl on the Short Way for today. I'm your host, Tamara Kramer, and I thank you so much for tuning in. You can come back in two weeks. We'll be back with another another episode, and hopefully we'll be able to report on the health and well-being of Chief Teresa Spence and on what I, I, I really hope is a fruitful meeting with Prime Minister Stephen Harper. We're going to go out with a song by Lucinda Williams, and I love Lucinda Williams, and this is not a reproach to anybody. It's just sort of um, a reflection on where we're at, perhaps, uh, as a country. And the song is called Out of Touch. So thanks so much for tuning in to Shtetl on the short way.